I don't know if you know it or not, but Easter is coming. Did you know? You didn't know that? It happens the same general season every year. And uh, it's like, it's, it's not quite like Christmas, which is the same date. It's anyway, uh, and Easter's coming and we really believe that God may have harvest for us. And so next Sunday, uh, there will be invitations like this one available to you as you leave. And uh, this is just a simple invitation to Easter Sunday. Uh, statistics still tell us that 90% of people would go to church if somebody invited them. That means people you know who don't know the Lord and don't, don't attend church at for sure on Easter Sunday, if you would simply invite them, they would come. And so this is an invitation for you we want to make. On the backside, uh, it talks about our Happily Ever After question mark series that will begin the Sunday after Easter. So I think that is uh, April the 16th. And the first message is Red Hot Monogamy. It'll be PG-13, but it'll be a great day. Uh, so I hope that you will uh, use these and, and invite people. We'll have them again available next week, but I wanted to mention those uh, to you. Praise the Lord. And hey, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, and I want you to turn to two places, Acts chapter 1, and then I want you to turn us also to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Do you know who the most followed person on Instagram is? Ronaldo, who said that? Well done, young man. He's very proud of himself. Christian Ronaldo has 562 million followers on Instagram. Uh, does anybody know, not you, but who, Chris, who this guy is? He plays the worst sport in the history of sport. No, I'm just kidding. That's... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I misspoke. That's NASCAR. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm just digging, digging a hole, digging a hole. Selena Gomez, how many of you know who Selena Gomez is? She's an actress, a singer, a Disney star, child star. She has, she's number two with 400 million followers. I mean, you realize that's like 10%, a little less than 10% of the entire world follows this lady, follows a soccer player. You have to get down to number 14 before you find anybody useful. You got, and that's where National Geographic is ranked, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, National Geographic being on Instagram uh, because it's photography, right? It's about, it's about pictures. It's about moments. Uh, they have 266 million followers. And then there's a whole bunch of other celebrities and people that aren't important in the world. And we get down. I didn't mean that meanly. Everyone's important, I guess. And then you get down to, to number 40, number 40, and you find NASA. NASA. So in the top 40, National Geographic and NASA are the only two that aren't a celebrity or an athlete. Our world is enamored with following people. Have you noticed that? Jeff Carlson has 378 followers, if you wondered. I mean, I'm, I'm moving up in the world. I mean, man, I was surprised to find out I have more followers than Chloe Carlson. Um, and a lot more than Eli Carlson. I uh, just thought that was interesting. Followership is about popularity, isn't it? 
In fact, if you follow anyone, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or any of the social medias that are out there, if you follow anyone, we follow them because we are interested in whatever they're doing in their life, what's going on, or the things that they have to say. But the moment that they cross a line and we're no longer interested, what do we do? We hit the unfollow button. I do it a lot. It's not a big deal, right? It's just something we do. Our culture is so enamored with popularity, but popularity doesn't equal transformation. How many of you know Cristiano Ronaldo has 0% chance of changing your life? True? How many of you know Selena Gomez? I mean, if you let Selena Gomez change your life, you might have bigger issues, right? And I'm not, not trying to be mean to her. She might be a delightful person. I have no idea. But they're just saying that there's no power of transformation. So the only one I know who transforms life is Jesus, right? Like he's the only one that I know of who can literally transform in a moment somebody's life. So I wondered, I wonder if Jesus has Instagram. Turns out he does. If you didn't know it, Jesus is on Instagram. He has 1.7 million followers. If you were wondering, that was a joke. You guys didn't laugh as much as I thought you'd laugh. I thought you guys would laugh at that. He really is on Instagram. I don't know who, who I don't know that it's actually him. It's probably like an imposter. He doesn't have a blue check mark by his name or anything like that. So it's probably an imposter. But, you know, it got me thinking, why, why, did, why did people follow Jesus? I, I can think of instances in the Bible where uh, lots of people were like, man, you say incredible things. You, you say things nobody else saying. Jesus said cool stuff that nobody else was saying. The miracles that he did inspired and captivated people's lives. I mean, how many of you are grateful he messed with the religious people? Like he messed with the religious people to no end. He even called them names. It gives me hope when I drive down the street. He called them names. I just want to be like Jesus, honey. I just want to be like, you brood of vipers, you know? He, he, man, I am on today. He, he spoke truth with, uh, about nonsensical spiritual laws or religious laws, right? He's like, what do you mean we can't heal on the Sabbath? What's wrong with you people? This is God's day. If God wants to heal, he can heal, right? He messed with them in that way. He was countercultural, counter, this isn't a word, I made it up, counterreligical. I think that might be a word. Unlike anything to ever come before, and many followed him until they didn't. Many followed him until they didn't. Until he said something difficult. Until he got into things that were a little bit challenging or when he pinpointed issues in individuals' lives that didn't line up with the ways of God. So what it turned out to be is many of the people who followed Jesus weren't disciples, they were actually just fans. John 6 is one such example. The whole chapter is kind of an interesting chapter, and for a long time, the church wasn't even, insure, wasn't even sure whether they should include it in the scripture, uh, whether it should be part of the Bible. John chapter 6, Jesus tells, is teaching the group, and he gets to this point where he talks about uh, he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And he says, like, basically the way they interpreted it was, if you're not a cannibal, you can't be a Christian. You can't be a person of God. Now, we know that's not what the Lord, aren't you glad that's not what Jesus was saying? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But the Bible tells us that many of those that were following him came to him after that. And they, and verse 66, and I found it interesting that it's John 6, 
66. That just was interesting to me. He says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And what did they say? Oh, this is a hard teaching. You know, I, I, I'll follow you, Jesus, and I'm good following you until you say something that I don't understand or that's a little too challenging for me to grab or it's a little too hard for me to live or you, po- you poke something specific in my life and then I think maybe I'll push the unfollow button. Jesus wasn't so interested in followers or popularity. He is interested in true disciples. So it comes to us. Are you Instagram interested in Jesus? Is he popular to you? Maybe right now because of our, you know, we got all this craziness in the world, but we've also got a desire for spirituality. And so maybe right now he's the cool kid and you want to run in his circle. What happens though when Jesus asks the hard questions of you or demands a level of faith that stretches your life or stretches your ideas of God or stretches your understanding of what his call on your life is or maybe he points out something in your lifestyle choices or something in the decisions that you're making or something in your habits or something in your day-to-day activity or fill in the blank that maybe doesn't quite jive with the word of God but you don't want to surrender it. Are you quick to Click the unfollow button. We come to Acts chapter 1. Got real quiet in here, didn't it? In Acts chapter 1, we've got the ascension of Jesus, which we talked about last week, but we get to this section, and it's really kind of known as the section that, uh, where they, they cast lots and replace Judas. And, you know, I'm looking at it on uh, a couple of weeks ago going, how is this going to be a sermon? Like, I don't, I don't know how to get a sermon out of them that cast lots, and Judas, Judas was replaced by Matthias, so we never hear from again. Like, how, how, do, we, how do we make that a sermon, Right? But as I dug into it and I began to really see what is the Lord trying to speak to us today through this, it's in the Bible for a reason. And Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. Okay, that means God put these verses 12 to 26 in Acts chapter one for a reason, right? So I'm gonna gonna try to pull it out because I think that the Lord has something to say to us today and it's about true disciples, It's about being a true disciple, not a follower of Jesus, not a fan of Jesus, not someone who will hold on and Instagram follow him until he says something or does something or asks for something that you're uncomfortable with, but a true disciple of Jesus. What what does that person look like? I think we see it here in Acts chapter one, and I've got four marks of a true disciple. I'm sorry I don't have notes for you today. I told you I struggled with this. It was hard to pull out. But four marks for a true disciple. First one's this, true disciples strive for simple obedience. True disciples strive for simple obedience. Now, let me take you to verse verse 10 or 11. I don't remember which one, where Jesus is getting ready to ascend. And what does he tell the disciples to do? Wait. Go to Jerusalem, get yourself in a room, and wait. I guarantee you, Peter looked at John and said, that's it? Like, I thought we were going to go do the kingdom thing now. 
I thought we were going to go and overthrow Rome. I thought we were going to go and do X, Y, and Z. I thought God was going to ask me to do something that is astronomical and that is amazing and that's going to change the world. That's what Peter heard in his youth group growing up. Peter, you're going to change the world. What I've learned about the Lord is this. Look at, look at it in verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half a mile. He didn't even ask them to walk very far. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Like, that's not complicated, right? Why do we tend to think the commands of God have to be very, very complicated? Why are we not satisfied with doing the simple things that God has asked us to do to be a disciple of Jesus? Why do we think that if it's simple, it must not have been God? Because God's plan, because he's so big and so amazing, must be incredibly complicated. I thought the simple things God instructs us to do, and this is not a, I've only got four things, it's certainly not, or three things, it's certainly not exhaustive. There's many, many more things that God has asked us to do, but they're, but they're simple things. I thought of three that we've been talking about, private devotions. Oh, have a relationship with Jesus. Hey, you think you could find 15 minutes a day to maybe spend with me? I mean, I'm just wondering if you could do that. Like, that's the thing that the Lord wants from us, and it's simple, isn't it? Yes, Pastor Jeff, it's very simple to, you know, that's, that's simple. I mean, it's not, it's not complicated. It's not complicated to sit down and read the Bible and, you know, put on a worship, worship song and worship the Lord all by, like, that's not a simple thing to, or not a complicated thing to do. It's a simple thing. I, I thought of another one, be part of, of Christ's body. Too many Christians right now have distanced themselves from Christ's body in disobedience to the word of the Lord to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing not a complicated thing. It's pretty simple. The Lord's not asking for, for your left kidney. He's asking you to like be part of the body of Christ. He's asking you to spend time in devotion. He's asking you to have a relationship. Uh, the third one I thought, he's asking you to employ your gift in the kingdom of God. Whatever God has put in your life, the gifts and the talents and the abilities, he's asking you to employ those to work, to not bury your talent but to activate it in service to the king. That's part of the deal, guys, right? Those are simple things. Can I say this? Simple does not always equal easy. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. How many of you would agree with that? It's, it's simple, it's not complex, it's not this huge roadmap that we've gotta figure out. It's simple, but it's hard. It's sometimes difficult to discipline yourself in private devotions or to choose to say no to some things so that you can be part of Christ's body. I find it interesting that today, and don't be offended, I don't want you to be offended, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Today, we say no to the body of Christ more than we say no to the other things that this world offers us. Literally anything comes up that seems more interesting than church. Oh, I can go to church anytime. Oh, I can be part of the body anytime. Oh, I can go to connect group anytime. This amazing opportunity came up to go to BW3s and watch the NCAA tournament. I just made that up. I'm just saying, we, when, when, when do we say yes to his body and no to the other thing? When does that transformation happen? Because the disciples said no to their lie. Did I, did I get too far and 
slam people? Okay, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm just simply trying to say, like at some point, don't we have to choose his ways and not our ways? It's a difference between being simple and being easy. God asks us for simple obedience. And here's the thing. This is what I think is beautiful. Even though they're hard, you know, God, okay, God asks us to do the simple, but he empowers us to do the hard. Does that make sense? Like God asks us, this is the thought I had working on this. God asks us to do what is simple. Okay, God, I'll do the simple. I'll do devotions. I'll, I'll go to church. I'll spend time in the family. I'll tithe. I'll do these things. There are simple things that God wants you to do. And again, there's, there's dozens of them in the New Testament, like forgiveness. Like you should forgive, right? How many of you know forgiveness is simple, but it's difficult? Just as an example. And so God says, look, my friend, my son, my daughter, I just want you to do the simple and I will empower you to do the, what, it, what is hard. I'll give you the ability and the strength and the strategy and whatever you need to do what it, he never lets you down with what is hard if you'll take the step to do what is simple. That was good preaching, Deanne. God's asking true disciples for simple obedience. So here's my question for you. And I don't have a question for every point, but I do for this one. And it's this, what steps of simple obedience have you delayed because it's going to be hard? What steps of simple obedience has God asked of you that you have delayed in your life, maybe a long time ago, maybe recently, but you've delayed it in your life because you know saying yes to the request for simple obedience is actually going to be really difficult to do. It's simple, but it's hard. And God is saying, if you'll just take the simple step, I will empower you to do the hard. I'll take care of the other end of it. I'll take care of the back half. You just got to take the step. That's what he's saying. A true disciple, a true disciple will walk in simple obedience to the word of the Lord. Number two, a true disciple will, will run in unity. A true disciple will run in unity. Verse 13, here are the names of those who were present. And he lists all the disciples. I won't read it for sake of time. All the disciples. But verse 14 is interesting. And they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They all, everybody say all, all. met together and were constantly united. Everybody say united. They were all united. Oh, and guess what? Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there and several other women and the brothers of Jesus. And here's what I want you to know about that. Nobody was left out. They didn't say to Mary and Mary Magdalene and Salome and whoever the women were, they didn't say, ladies, awesome that you're here. We're so glad that you've come, but now we're getting into the nuts and bolts of this thing and we're waiting on this promise and we're not sure if God wants to just give it to men or women or what's going on. So why don't you guys hang out outside and we'll let you know. That's not what he said. That's not, the, that's not the pattern. The pattern was that why they were waiting, the gift that was coming was for everybody. Male and female, Jew and Greek, bond and free. He dealt with gender. He dealt with socioeconomic issues. He dealt with all those things, all the, the cultural issues. It's for every culture, tribe and tongue and people. It's for everybody. And the first, those guys, they weren't even in the church yet, right? Because the church gets born next week. Next week, we birthed the church, okay? So come back next week. But... They were just there, like they didn't even necessarily know what they were waiting for. 
but they gathered all together in unity. They had leadership, but it wasn't lorded. Women were not sidelined. There was no hierarchy of like who's in charge. And remember, these are the guys that walking on the road with Jesus as he did miracles were arguing about who was gonna sit on his right and his left. And suddenly they get in the room and they're like, we don't know what's going on, so we're just gonna let everybody in. We're just gonna let, and, and, and that's what they're doing. And I just love that they decided that they were gonna be in unified anticipation of the Father's promise. Unified anticipation, you know what? You know when Jesus is gonna come back? When the church gets unified in its anticipation of his return. That's when Jesus is gonna come. That's when revival's gonna break out. It ain't gonna come just because we're like, oh God, once in a while, we'd really like to have a move of God. He's gonna come when we decide to be in unified expectation. Unified anticipation. So I thought a couple of things about unity. Unity is chosen. Many scholars have said, When Jesus in John 17 prayed for unity, it was the one prayer that nobody that is divine could answer. It's the only prayer that's only answered by his followers. He said, make them one, Lord, as we, make them one, Father, as we are one. But it's not a a prayer that the Father can answer, it's a prayer we answer. Because unity is a choice. Unity is a decision. What destroys the choice of unity, it's killed by selfishness. The choice of unity is killed by selfishness. Unity is not only chosen, unity must be embraced. It must be embraced and sort of loved and it's killed by preferences. It's killed by people who want to hijack the word and the work of of God for their own gain. I wanna remind you of people called like the seven sons of Sceva or the, the ones that followed Paul and said, well, this power that you have, I want this power for money, for gain. It's killed by preferences. Unity must be chosen, must be embraced, and it's gotta be fought for. We've gotta fight for unity. We've gotta fight for one another. We've gotta fight to stay together. And what's it killed by? It's killed by offense. When you get offended, when I get offended, when we choose to embrace our offense instead of embrace and fight for unity, we've destroyed the unity of the kingdom of God. It's why we're a mess today because we've chosen to be offended at our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who think a little bit differently or act a little bit differently. And I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about sin and more immorality and things like that. I'm talking about people that just believe you know, one little thing or two little things a little differently than we do and we've chosen to ostracize or they've chosen to ostracize. No wonder the Lord's like, come on dudes and dudettes because we're all in. Unity's gotta be fought for, and lastly, I think unity's gotta be defended. Unity has to be defended. We have to take up ourselves and our cross, and we gotta take up our spiritual armor and our spiritual weapons, and we've got to defend unity, and, and that defense is killed by competing visions. By competing visions, what are we after? I can tell you, we're not after Jeff Carlson's vision around here, we're after what God wants, we're after his kingdom, we're after what the kingdom of God wants to do here. Whatever that may look like, whatever, whatever it may look like, that's what we want, we want his kingdom. So we can't afford for you to have a different kingdom you're trying to build. I can't afford for any of our pastors or any of our key leaders or me, myself, and I to have any kind of a competing vision other than thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen? So how do, we, how do we keep that? Well, we defend unity. We defend unity. 
comes down to decisions we make, doesn't it? Will you and I choose to dwell together in unity or will we kill it with these choices, with these preferences, with our selfishness, with our competing visions of what the church should look like? Will we allow those things to destroy the unity that God wants to create, not only in our church, but in all churches and in all the kingdom? We can't be those people, amen? Number three, true disciples strive for obedience, they run in unity, and number three, they yield to God's word. True disciples yield to God's word, Acts chapter one. During this time when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up, and I'm not gonna read this whole passage, but he says, hey guys, we gotta do these things. Here's what the scripture said, here's the prophecy, and it's coming out of Psalm chapter 69 and Psalm 109, where the Bible, David uh, sort of foretells and prophesies about Judas and about the betrayal. It's also, oh, Zechariah, there's another prophecy, and I can't remember where it is, that talks about the 30 pieces of silver and what's gonna happen, he's gonna buy a field and the money's gonna be thrown into the tent, blah, 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 all this stuff. So I'm just saying to you, the Old Testament prophesied exactly what was going to happen before it happened. You with me? Why? Because the word of God always tells us what is to come. You don't have to pray about it because it's already in the book. I'll show you later. It's already in the book, okay? And so, so Peter's getting up and these guys, remember, they're not learned men. What that means is they didn't go to, they didn't go to rabbinical school. They didn't go and, you know, study all the scripture. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? He talks about how he's the Jew of Jews and he studied under Gamaliel and he's like the Pharisee of the Pharisee. He is the all in all, but that guy wasn't in the room that day. So you got Peter, who's just a regular church, church guy. How many of you can relate? With a big mouth. Now how many of you can relate? I was thinking of you. I was thinking of you. No, not really. And Peter gets up, he sort of takes the bull by the horns and he's like, guys, the, the word of God has prophesied here uh, that this is gonna happen and here's what we need to do about it, so, so let's go. And so they begin the process of replacing Judas. So just quickly, what's the significance of replacing Judas? Like, why mess with it right now? And so a lot of scholars will say that Judas, uh, Matthias was never meant to be the 12th apostle or the replacement for Judas, but the apostle Paul was. Here, so... Yeah, maybe, maybe that's true, but let me give you some counterpoints, okay? So number one, the counterpoint is this. The 12 apostles were representative of, of, of the 12 tribes of Israel. In the kingdom that's coming, they will be, the apostles will be the 12 you know, cornerstones, if you will, of the new Jerusalem, right? So these are Jewish guys who are Jewish ministers uh, and, and some scholars say that that had to be in place before the Holy Spirit could be poured out in Acts chapter two. Well, uh, uh, Paul didn't get saved until Acts chapter nine, right? Here's the other thing about Paul. He was not a minister to the Jews. He was a minister to the Gentiles. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. That's like what he's known for. So on, uh, now I can't tell you that this is what the Bible says, but when the new Jerusalem comes down, whatever that looks like, holy cow, that'll be interesting. I believe the name that will be on the foundation is Matthias. What happened to Matthias? We don't know because there's nothing in Acts or the rest of the Bible about him. He's never mentioned again. So it's easy to then think that he was irrelevant. You wanna know what happened to Matthias according to church tradition? He ended up in the nation of Georgia and was eaten by cannibals. That's how he was martyred. Like I'd rather, well, never mind. 
I don't know if they cooked him first or not. <laughs> Here's what's clear in this passage, though. Peter and the other apostles knew and trusted the written word of God. Here's what I think about the word of God today. It's much like Jesus. The word of God is a lot like Instagram. It, we follow it, we read it, but we kind of throw out the things we don't like. We kind of set aside the things that are hard. We kind of don't want to deal with some of the things that he said. You're like, man, I know the word of God. Well, well, I know about the word of God. Well, you know, I've read it a few times. I've, I heard it on Sunday morning. It's on the screen and stuff. And well, I know John 3.16. And the scary thing for me is this. There's so many, and you, you, look, you just got to go on social media to find out. There's so many believers that do not know the word of God. You do not, we do not know the word of God as it is. I'm not talking about like the rainbow word of God, like a, a fresh revelation from God. I'm not talking about that. I, I'm talking, in fact, th those might be uh, a six one half, I mean, uh, or a dime a dozen. That's the one I'm looking for. A dime a dozen right now. Because we'd rather have a rainbow word of God than dig into the word of God that's already been written and revealed. It's almost like the rhema word, and what I mean by that is like a prophetic word or a moment where somebody shares, you know, which should always be backed up biblically, don't get me wrong, but it's almost like we crave that more than digging into like, I gotta read Leviticus again. You know what I'm saying? But here's what the Bible says about the word of God, Hebrews chapter four, for the word of God, and it's not talking about the rhema word of God because the word word is not capitalized. If it was capitalized, it'd be talking about Jesus. John 1, 1, Jesus is the word. The word the, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. Right? Are you with me? So it's not talking about that. It's talking about the Bible, the written word of God. For the word of God is alive and powerful. Even Deuteronomy. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. And maybe right there is the rub. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. And then the author says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is uncovered and exposed or laid bare before the eyes of whom we will give account, to whom we will give account. So like just because we don't engage the word of God and let it divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging our innermost thoughts doesn't mean God doesn't see them anyway. Wouldn't you rather have those things exposed to you here then find yourself on judgment day before the throne of God and him say, I tried to get your attention. I tried to help you with that and you would not engage. I tried to get you into my word, but you refused. You were too busy. You were too tired. You had too many stream streaming services. You worked too much. And you sacrificed the word of God for things that were temporal, things that would pass away. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. Failure to know and apply the word of God in our lives 
to know and apply. It's not enough to know it. It's not enough to just apply it. You have to know it and apply it. A failure to know and apply the word of God in our lives is a failure of faith. It's a failure of faith. Confusion abounds, deception abounds, sin abounds, and frankly right now, apostasy abounds. But the truth of the word pierces the darkness and brings transformation. If we don't dig in in these last days to the word of God, we will be the ones who are not aware of his coming. True disciples know the word of God. And lastly, true disciples trust his sovereignty. I did that last week. True disciples trust his sovereignty. Verse 21 picks up. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who are with us the entire time. They give the criteria the entire time traveling with Jesus from the time he was baptized by John till the day he was taken up. Whoever is chosen will join us as witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice and Matthias. And they all prayed, oh Lord, you know every heart, so show us which one you've chosen. Not which one we think is good. Which one you've picked as an apostle to replace Judas in the ministry for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. And they cast lots and Matthias was selected. A true disciple trusts, rests in, believes in the sovereignty of God. Why did they cast lots? Two reasons. One, they cast lots because that's like throwing dice or throwing rocks or whatever or, or drawing a paper out of a hat. That's how we do it, right? So how, however you want to do it, what it, they did it for two reasons. One, it was accepted practice in the first century. It was the way that, especially in synagogues and Jewish tradition, things like this were decided. They were not Democrats. I don't mean Democrats like Republicans are Democrats. They weren't Democratic I mean, that's a better way to say it. They did not believe that everybody has a voice, right? They, didn't, they weren't that way. We are a the- theocracy, and the only voice that counts is his voice. Right? That's how they saw it. And so they said to the Lord, you already picked who you want, so just tell us who you want. And the way we're going to discern that, we're going to throw the, the rocks or whatever it is and cast the lot so that we know. So a lot has been made about that. And what I really want you to see is just simply this. They had a full trust that God had already made the decision. They just needed to get out of the way. A disciple that's comfortable with the sovereignty of God knows that God is working all things together for their good, uh, that God loves them, and no matter what comes, they can trust the Lord to bring about the outcome that he's already predestined and set. You with me? Here's what I think. God's sovereignty, if you trust God's sovereignty, you trust the big picture. And here's the problem with the big picture. So many of us can only see our own picture. And here's the thing. If Satan can use your own picture, circumstances in your life, things that come down your path, whatever, job losses, relate, you know, just whatever, whatever you think is bad, whatever you think is bad, if Satan can use that to destroy your trust in his control and his sovereignty, you're never going to make it through what's coming. Did you hear me? 
If it's the small things that derail your faith, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can trust God now. I don't know if I can believe in God anymore. I don't know if I can trust him that he's going to take care of the things in my life or the things in whatever. You'll never trust God for the big picture if you can't trust him for the small picture, for just your life. God's sovereignty is about the big picture. Like, do you understand that nothing that's happening in our nation, in our world right now surprises God? Politics, wars, leaders, nation, Satan, culture, economics, righteousness, or religiousness, love of, love, the love of many growing cold, people walking away from their faith, transgenderism. I mean, like, we could make a list of every single thing that we don't like about the world or that we're concerned about in the world. I mean, the 2020 election, the 2024 election, like, every, we can make a list of it all, and God's not up they're going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? But we are. Why? Why? Look, we either trust his sovereignty, his ability to accomplish what he set out to accomplish, or we don't. Individual things in our lives the enemy tries to use to disconnect us from God and our trust in his sovereignty, but God uses those things to connect us to, his, to, to a dependence upon him, a trust in him, a trust in his power and his sovereignty. Are you with me? Everybody with me? Like I said, you don't have to like what I'm saying, but we're going to stay in unity. <laughs> if you read the end of the book, if you read the end of the book, some really difficult things are going to happen. And a lot of it is going to take place before the church is caught away. I don't know how much you can decide, pre-tribber, mid-tribber, post-tribber, whatever. You can decide. I don't really care. I'm just going to be ready for when it happens. But you know what? The only way I'm going to be ready is if I trust his sovereignty because I'm going to see some things that are going to be, that are going to be challenging. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 24. Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am Messiah, and they will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pangs. So I just want you to know, if you see a correlation between where our world is today and what I just read, this is just the beginning. Then you'll be arrested. I just want you to notice how it shifts. How it shifts from worldwide things, world events, out of our control to us. You will be arrested, persecuted, and maybe even killed. Can I just say, if you're an Instagram follower of Jesus, you're never going to die for him. You're never going to give your life, life. None of you would die for Ronaldo. I mean, even National Geographic. We just wouldn't. He says, you're going to be persecuted and even killed. You'll be hated all over the world because, of my because you are my followers. And I just want you to know, we're about to see verse 9 start. It's already happening in other parts of the world, but it's coming to the Western culture. 
Many, look, look, here's the result. Here's the result, verse 10. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate one another. So not only will they turn away from God, they'll turn on each other and turn each other in. You don't think you're gonna have to be pretty settled about the sovereignty of God when that happens? Maybe it won't be you, it'll be your child. For some of you, it'll be your child that turns you in. Betray and hate one another, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Then the end will come. Well, currently... That number stands about 2 billion people who still haven't heard the name of Jesus. We're a long way off. We're a long, now it could happen real quick. I just want you to know, you and I have got to get real comfortable with the sovereignty of God and trusting him in the end times and in the last days and in the things that are coming. And if we can't trust him with our own little picture, we'll never trust him in the big picture. Don't be caught in ignorance. Don't get caught inattentive. Don't get caught in the group that's mad at God because his plan didn't exactly line up with your plan. True disciples trust his sovereignty. Back to John chapter 6 as we close. Many disciples desert Jesus. And this is a real moment for you. It's a real moment for me, a real moment for us. So all these disciples walk away and they say, that's too hard. I can't handle that kind of teaching. I can't handle that kind of commitment. I can't live like that, Jesus. I guess I'm going to go find somebody else to follow. And Jesus turns to the 12. And by the way, I want you to notice there were probably hundreds and hundreds that were following him to that moment. And everybody left but the 12. He didn't turn to the 70. He didn't turn to the 112. He turned to the 12 who were left. And he said, are you going to leave too? Peter says, Lord, where would we go? Where would we go? You, You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know you're the son of God. So where would you go? You got better options out there than Jesus? Is there a different way to be saved? Where would you go? But we do go, don't we? We do run to other things and other places and other things and other truths and other ideas, trying to fulfill ourselves and find meaning and peace and even salvation in our life. The world is full of people who are trying to find their inner path their truth. And that group of people is not exclusive to Christians. There are Christians in the same group trying to find their way. John says this, 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father. For the world offers only a craving for spiritual or physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. 
These are not from the Father, but from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You know, Peter had it almost right. He said, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. He didn't understand everything yet. He was really close. But what he should have said is, you are eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. True disciples, those who will inherit salvation, true disciples will abandon everything, will give up everything in this world, will walk away, will be willing to walk away from everything this world offers, the career path you've chosen, the future that you've prepared for, the plans that you've made, the dreams that you have. A true disciple will be willing to walk away from all of that in a moment's notice if God asks. So it brings us to this point. Is Jesus worth it? That's the decision we have to make, right? That's the decision you have to make. Is Jesus worth it? See, to the disciples that day, the apostles in the upper room trying to wait for whatever God was sending, he was worth it to them. And they decided he was worth it. Is he worth it to you? Is Jesus worth your everything? Is he worth all that you are? Do you believe Jesus is so good, so satisfying, so rewarding that you'll say no to the things of the world, that you'll slough off more and more of what the world wants you to chase and you'll find yourself in the fullness that's found only in him? What do you choose? I want you to be a true disciple. I want to be a true disciple that might mean I have to walk away from some other things. True disciples, follow Jesus. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture and this word, Lord. And it's a challenging word, God. It's a hard word. It's, God, it's something that, man, just puts it right there. Are you enough? Are you enough for us to choose to abandon and walk away from all the other things we could chase, all the other things we could do? Are you enough for us? And God, that's a question I'm asking these wonderful people to ask of themselves. Is he enough for you? Is he enough for you to begin to let him heal your past? Is he enough for you to start forgiving the people over whom you hold unforgiveness? Is he enough for you to say yes to the call he has in your life and abandon the plan that you had for your life? Is he enough for you to walk in simple obedience? Is he enough for you to do the little things and maybe some big things that he'll ask of you? Is he enough for you to trust his sovereignty no matter things that happen in your life that are good or bad or somewhere in between? Or in this world that are good or bad or somewhere in between? Is he enough? I wanna ask everybody to stand to your feet and I think what I think we're gonna do is just simply this. I need you, the Lord needs you to decide today. I don't know why, I, I don't know what's coming. Like, like stuff could happen this week. Maybe that's why it's coming. Stuff could happen this week. There's nothing that the, the world is waiting on for the Lord to begin setting in motion all these things. So I don't know why I feel this so strong. I don't know what's coming. Don't read into that at all because God has not given me revelation. I just know this, if it comes this week, are you ready? Have you decided? Have you drawn the line in the sand? 
or are you going to be thrown off? So here's what we're going to do. I just want to ask you now to bow your head and close your eyes and ask yourself that question. I open these altars right now. If you need to make a place of of an altar right now at the front, if you need to do it at your seat, however you want to do it, I just think you and I have got to ask the question, is Jesus going to be enough if we never get the accolade, if we never get promoted, if we never get all the things we've dreamed about, if all we get is suffering, if that's the normal way, is he enough? Is the reward at the end enough? for what he's asking of us. Jesus, I pray you would draw everyone into your heart that would come, everyone who needs you, everyone who needs to make decisions, everyone who needs to examine the way that they're living their life, God, to be a true disciple, not a follower, not a fan, but a true disciple. I pray you draw them in Jesus' name. If you need to come, I want you to come right now as our worship team leads.